If you would, turn to the Bible to Psalm 2, the second psalm. Uh, last week was the first Sunday of 2024, so we looked at the first psalm. Today we're going to move right along into the second one. We're not going to stay in the psalms for long, uh, but we are here for right now. And uh, want to point out to you all, like I said last week, that I think Psalm 1 and 2 go together. They are a, they are, they are a combo, and um, hopefully we're going to make that well known and understood today. Psalm 2 and its 12 verses. We're really proud of you all for making it in on such a cold morning. We realized that it would have felt great to keep on sleeping, wouldn't it? I understand, I understand. But you made it here and you ventured out through the cold and we're proud of you for that and we're thankful for that and we're glad to be here. I was reminded this week of a short little expression that we say often around here, life is hard. It's not always hard. Some of y'all got it going really good right now and, and you're thankful for that, but not everybody does. And at times it is so difficult. And I was reminded this week, I got a call yesterday of a family with children in the house whose heat completely went out yesterday. I know a family in Fairdale that slept in their home last night without any heat. We offered them to go somewhere else that could be warm, and they, they did not want to do that. They were going to find a way to figure it out. But that's cold. No matter how many blankets and layers you put on, that's, that's really cold. Life is hard in that moment. We could go on and on with how many of those. And if they made it through the night, which they did, but if they made it through that and they survived that and they're back warm today, then, then maybe that was just one really, really, really challenging 24 hours. The truth is, is that we know many, many other people that life is hard and it doesn't get better just like that. It's just continuously difficult and challenging. I know so many people that don't have the support system of others and, and so many people that are dealing with illness and it just seems like all of life is an uphill. I had a conversation with a guy this week and I just had to say to, them, say to him with sincerity in my heart, brother, when it rains, it pours. And we felt that. He felt that and I felt that for him and the Bible is not gonna tell us that that's not the case. You may be here today going, that's my story. It is always difficult. But the Bible is going to show us today in Psalm 2 that the, the, the end of it all is to say, blessed are all who take refuge in Christ. God may not tell you that that uphill climb will get better here right away. But God does tell you that he loves you and he sent Christ to die for you and if you will trust in him, you will be safe with him forever. He will be yours and you will be his. You will have God, your father, as your refuge and your soul deep down will be anchored to him and his love. The, the Bible describes being safe with God or in the love of God as being in his grip with his big almighty hand and that nothing can snatch you out of his hand. There is such security and comfort in the love of God through Christ Jesus who died for us. And all of life is pointing us to look for a refuge and the Bible comes to us and says, in all of that hardship and trial, find your refuge in Christ. Psalm 2 is going to take us there. 
But I'm telling you that Psalm 2 is a combo along with, along with Psalm 1. And so you remember how the psalm began last Sunday. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. And then look at verse 4. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. And last week, we, we preached that Psalm 1 in pointing out that there are God's way to do life, and then there's the world's way to do life, and those do not end up in the same place. Psalm 2 is going to take that same thought and go God's way compared to the world's way and, and, and look at those a little bit further, but draw the conclusion that it is good for us to find our refuge and our hope and our, our, our settling in God and his love. May you not push against that. May you trust in Christ. May you believe with all your heart there is nobody that loves you and cares about you the way that Jesus Christ does. And the proof is, is he gave his life for you. Read with me, if you will, Psalm 2, all 12 verses. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Psalm 2 takes what Psalm 1 has said and elaborates on it a little bit further. But it draws the sweet conclusion of the blessed man finding refuge in him. I want you to see right away, and we'll end with this in a few minutes, that the way the Psalms begin, Psalm 1-1, blessed is the man, is the way Psalm 2 ends, blessed are all who take refuge in him. The blessed man truly is the one who has found himself resting in the love of God. The blessed man truly is the one who has found himself loved by God in Christ, trusting in that. May that be your refuge. This is a neat psalm to walk through. There are 12 verses, and they, they come in sections of three. And so today we're going to look at each of these three sections, all four of them, and just kind of walk through that. Each has a word that we're going to follow. Instead of like, you know, four well-thought-out points, we're just going to look at a, a word in each and walk through it. The first is rage. Point number one for a kid using a listening page is the word rage. Rage is a strong word, isn't it? I watch Dude Perfect videos, and they got a guy called Rage Monsters where he just loses his mind and goes crazy. 
Another way I use the word rage is uh, road rage. When I was in high school, there was a band called Rage Against the Machine. Y'all know what rage is. It's like you've lost control and now you're just doing what you want to do. You might say, he's raging. This is a word the Bible uses for many in the world who are going against God. But it comes to us in a question, doesn't it? Psalm 2 begins with two questions, and boy, are they not very good questions. Why? Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain against God? Why are there so many peoples and therefore places, it's not that places in and of themselves are raging, but the people in places are raging against God? Why is it this way? Why are there so many that want to do away with God or minimize God or say that God is not real or he's not there or they want to mock him or make fun of him? Why is there this effort of out of control? It doesn't matter what I say, it doesn't matter what I do, and it's against God. And that's how the psalm begins. Well, I think that's a normal kind of, progr- it progresses that way question to ask if Psalm 1 has just told us beautifully that God's way is the best way. Last way I was, I mean, last Sunday I was making that point that God's way is the best way. And when you try to do your life in a way that is not God's way, you're, you're going in the wrong direction. And if everybody else is going in that direction, it's still the wrong direction. It's against the grain. It's, it's upstream, if you will. And if everybody is going that way and God's way is the opposite, it's still the wrong direction. And so if God's way is the best way and you're focused on being that blessed man, then it's a, it's a normal kind of next step question to ask, so why is everybody against it? If God is good and he loves us more than anybody else, and, and, if, and if you can come to God in your sins and not have to earn yourself out of it, not have to go and do something to pay him back, You don't have to pay your own debts, folks. In Christ, he took those on himself. On the cross, he took all of your sins. When Jesus hung on the cross, he took your sins. If you've ever cursed somebody or cursed God or you've ever just ran out of control saying, I'm going to do what I want to do and I don't care what anybody else says to me. Christ died for that rage. And so it's normal if you're focused on that or, or, or even just thinking about God's goodness and his way being the best way to ask, why, why do the nations rage? Why are the peoples plotting in vain against God? Why is this the case? Well, I'm, I'm wanting you to see that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 to go, get, go together, and I've already shown you blessed in 1-1 and blessed in 2-12, but let me show you another one that's really neat that you don't pick up on necessarily in English. In In Psalm 1, verse 2, the blessed man meditates on the word of God day and night. Everybody remembers that, right? That's Psalm 1, 2. The blessed man meditates on the word of God day and night. So the word is what drives him, okay? The blessed man. Well, in verse 1 of chapter 2, check this out. The word plot there is the same word as meditates. So what the psalmist is doing is it's showing us that the, the, the way of God and the way of the world spend their time thinking on, dwelling on, strategizing about, meditating and plotting. 
One on God and his goodness through his word. The other on how can we go against him? How can we prove God's not real? How can we prove that God's not good? How can we live how we want to live, pushing back on God's reign over us? Same word, meditate in one, two, is the same word, plot in two, one. While the blessed man's way is to meditate on God's word, the people's way is to plot on something other than God's word, and that's not good. Notice also here that verse 1-1, Psalm 1-1 says that he does not walk in the counsel. You got the word there, counsel. Psalm 2, verse 2 says, the kings of the earth and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. You got the word counsel there connecting those. They, the leaders of the people. Now, it's not just the people here. It's the leaders of the people counseling together, planning and working and supporting each other on how they can go against God. Verse 3 expresses that their way or their plan is to get away from or disconnect from God's good way. They have taken counsel together to do this. This is a strategy of their lives. It's not a good thing. It is a raging. I want you to notice also that it says here, specifically in verse three, that they say this, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. God and his ways and his rules are restricting and they're, they're like bonds around me. Let's get it away. Get, remove it far from me. It's a raging. They literally voice that in verse three. I don't want to hear that truth. I don't want it to do anything. I will call my own shots. I know what's best for me. I don't need a God telling me what to do. It's a raging that we see here. Notice that it specifically says that this is against God's anointed. One of the strongest things about Psalm 2 is how clearly Psalm 2 is pointing to Jesus. Verse two says God's anointed, that's Jesus. Verse six says God's king, that's Jesus. Verse seven says God's son, that's Jesus. Psalm two is about God's anointed, God's son, and God's king. This is about Christ, and the rage that so many in the world are having is against none other than Jesus himself. Spurgeon commenting on God's anointed says, as Spurgeon often could, God's anointed is appointed and shall not be disappointed. He's a wordsmith, right? God's son is God's son and he reigns on high and nothing can stop him. He has all authority in heaven on earth and you will bow down before him one day. He loves you and he gave himself for you. And their rage is against him. So much so that they counsel together and they say, let's cast it away from us. When you hear this, it starts to get you thinking about a, a mocking or a making fun of God as if we know better than him and we don't need God in our lives. That attitude is so bad. It, 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 rage is a good word for that. And I tried to come up with some example that you've heard of or you've seen or something in the news or on social media where somebody is just completely mocking God. But any specific example like that, I thought just did not 
do it justice. It would get us distracted more than it would be helpful. So let me read you one. Matthew 27, 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. And they gathered the whole battalion before him. Picture this. The government, the governor, governor, the whole battalion, and they bring in Jesus. And they stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and they put a reed in his right hand. Listen to this. You know how we use the word cringe these days? Like, oh, it's cringeworthy. It's cr- made me cringe. Listen to this. And kneeling before him, they mocked him. They said to him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and they put his own clothes on him and they led him away to crucify him. Let us do this to him just because we can before we kill him. We're going to kill him and get rid of him. Enough with this one who claims to be God. We're going to kill him. But before we do, let's take him back here and gather a crowd and just absolutely humiliate him. Psalm 2 is telling us that there is a raging against God. They doing what they want to do with no concern over whether it's right or wrong. Well, Psalm 1 is the one that introduced this to us, that those two paths are out there. It taught us that there are two ways. There is the, the in, in verse 4, you have Psalm 1, you have the wicked are not so, but are like tra- chaff that the wind drives away. They're not like the tree, they're like the chaff. Verse 5 of, of, of Psalm 1 says, The wicked will not stand in the judgment, and sinners will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There are clearly two different groups and two different directions. God's way and the world's way. So as we hear that there is a raging against God, we must reflect and say, what way are we on? Do we rage against God and his love God's grace and mercy to the world, are we raging against that? Are we making the world a better place as we represent him? Are we, a, are we a part of the rage? Have we lost control? Are we joining in with the rage against him? Do we rage against God? Do we think God and his way is bad for us? Do we think that God's good way cannot be good for us? Does it work for me, so I'll push back against that? Are you saying, let me cast God's way away from me? I don't want God's way on me. Spurgeon commenting on this very verse says, to a graceless, graceless neck, the yoke of Christ is intolerable. But to the saved sinner, it is easy and light. We may judge ourselves by this. Do we love that yoke? Or do we wish to cast God's yoke away from us? I'm not here today to point out all who are raging against God, but I am here today to show you that Psalm 2 says the world does rage against him. The nations and the peoples plot in vain against God. They rage against him. 
And my plea for you here today is that that would not be you, that your soul would not run away from God, that you would not rage and follow after what you think is right for you, that you would believe that your Father in heaven loves you and he sent his son to die for you, that you would not be described as one who rages, you would be described as one who trusts in God's great love for you. That's the first three verses. The next three verses, four through six, our word's not rage, our word is wrath. It comes up there in verse five. This psalm takes a little bit of a turn. It's, instead of describing those who are going against God, it describes God who, whose perspective would be against those who go against him. God doesn't jump up like one who's out of control. This is, the, this is the beauty of God when he has to speak about his wrath. It's not right for you and I to have wrath because you and I are a, are a mixed emotion in and of ourselves. We are flawed people. None of us feel rightly, completely right about everything. Now, there is such thing as a good uh, righteous anger. There, there should be things that upset us. There should be things that we think are wrong. But none of us are able to completely accurately display that. But God is. God loves all that is good and he opposes all that is wrong. And so in that way, God is able to exhibit beautiful control. We are often quick-tempered and there's times where we'll, we'll get up and we will jump into a fight or we will snap back at somebody or we will be rude because somebody was rude to us. This is how we are. God is not this way. Notice in verse four, God doesn't jump up and say, nah, I don't nobody treat me like that. I mean, I had enough of you all. Several years ago, people started making billboards where they would quote God and put it on there. Do you remember those? You drive down the highway and they would say something. I, that's dangerous, y'all. If you're gonna quote God, say something that God said. And I saw one that said, don't make me come down there, God. The Bible doesn't say that. That was dangerous to me. What, what, what are they trying to say? Is God over there sitting in his rocking chair like the grumpy old man and the kids are being annoying in the living room and enough's enough and you better warn the kids because one of these days God's just gonna snap up out of that chair and he's gonna bust you. The Bible doesn't present God as that way. God's in control. He knows what he's doing. When people rage against him, verse four says, he stays seated. Look at verse four. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Now he's laughing because raging against God is so wrong. The person shaking their fist at God, whether they're literally doing that or just living out a life that they think is okay, it is wrong. God laughs. He holds them in derision. But verse five says, then he will speak to them in his wrath, wrath and terrify them in his fury. And he will say, notice now it's God that's saying. Verse three, it is those raging who are saying, let us burst a bond, these bonds apart and cast it away from us. But now in verse six, it's God who's speaking. He simply says, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Christ, his son, the king, the anointed, Jesus is the one who reigns. Jesus is the one who all will answer to. Jesus is the one who, with gentle and lowliness and kindness and, and, and patience, Jesus is the one who is good for all who rage against him. Jesus is the one who is slow to anger and not willing that any would perish. Jesus is the one who gave his life for them. God sits, it's under control, Christ reigns. But his wrath is in view here, that's the word. In other words, God is opposed 
to those that rage against him. God is opposed to their way of doing things. God is opposed to those who think that they can oppose God. And he laughs at it. And he mocks it. And he says that he has a king. He does have a king. It's his son, Jesus, who is the king of kings and the king forever. And God here points out that it is wrong and his judgment will be on anybody that opposes him. The point I'm wanting to to, to show you here is that he doesn't say he's jumping up right then to, to bring that wrath. This was written at least over 2,000 years ago. This is written closer to 3,000 years ago, and God hasn't brought that wrath yet. He's that slow to anger. He's that patient. But he did bring that wrath one time. For the Bible teaches us that when Jesus Christ hung on the cross in his sinlessness, not deserving to die, God took the sins of the world, my sins and your sins, and placed them on his son. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he hung there innocent. He hung there sin-free. He hung there not deserving to die. And you remember he said... Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You see the heart of God and his mercy and his not being willing to pour out his wrath right there on them. He's wanting people to come to him and find refuge in him. But at some point on the cross, God turned his back on his son and poured out his wrath on him. You notice this in the words of Christ on the cross because on the cross, Jesus at one point said, Father, forgive them. But at another time on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's going on? God is not with me anymore. Where are you, God? And the wrath of God was poured out on Christ and he breathed his last and he died there. That was the wrath of God coming quickly upon sins on earth. And it wasn't on you. It wasn't on them. It was on Christ, the beautiful, sweet message of God. And his good news and gospel is God is slow to bring his wrath, but he poured his wrath out on Christ for you. If you are here today, may it delight your soul, your inner being to know that there is refuge in Christ because God's wrath was poured out on Jesus. The reason why Jesus died on the cross is because God was pouring out his wrath on Christ so that he would not pour it out on you. But make no mistake about it, the wrath is coming for those who will continually rage against God. He warns of this, and as the psalm progresses, he continues to warn at this. For right now, with verses four through six, though, I just want you to see, I want you to hear that it is right for God to recognize and be upset about those that are raging against him. God is altogether good. There's no discussion to be had about differences here. Raging against God is the problem. Going against God, sinning against God is the problem. And God's rightful response to that is that that's not good. He opposes that and he has wrath for it. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. And then the emphasis goes to Jesus, the king. 
The first emphasis we have in verses th- first three verses is rage. The second emphasis we have in the next three verses is wrath. And then we get to verse seven, and then it becomes the rod. Now God speaking about his son, the king, against this, he says, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to, my, to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. There is none other being discussed here than Jesus himself, the son of God. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Church, it is true at some point in some way, God will judge. And we don't want you to face that. The Bible says in John chapter five that whoever trusts in Christ has passed from death to life and they will escape the judgment. You don't have to face the judgment of God. You don't have to face the wrath of God if you will find refuge in Christ. The rod here describes that God will judge. It will happen for those that rage. Those that rage against God. I want you to see the patience of God that doesn't happen right away. God has made his son the judge and Jesus is a good and righteous judge. If you want to go your own way, it will not end well. As Galatians 6 reminds us, God cannot be mocked. See, when you read it in Psalm 1, Psalm 1's been saying the same thing. You read it in Psalm 1, it just kind of sounds nice. Psalm 1 is just, uh, you know, awesome. Six verses, we memorized that. You know, I, I had my kids memorize Psalm 1 a, a while ago. And it just says it like this, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked can perish. It doesn't seem to give enough detail. And you're just like, okay, there's two different categories. It doesn't really seem to shake you up. But when you get into Psalm 2 and you hear words like wrath and fury and rod, you're like, well, wait a second. That, that, that sounds a little too heavy. I don't know when the end of the world will come. I don't know when Jesus will come back, although the Bible says he'll come like a thief in the night. Nobody knows when he'll come. But when he comes back, the Bible says that there will be many who are eagerly waiting for him. There will be lots of people saying, Jesus, come save us and take us to heaven. The Bible also says there will be those who even till that last day raged against him. And the Bible says that when he comes back, they will flee to the hills and run to the mountains. And they will try to hide themselves from God because the judgment has finally come. Folks, may that not be you. I've got really, really good parents. They taught me well, raised me up, been good to me for a long time. And when I was younger, if I backtalked my mom, I would get grounded. If I backtalked my dad, I'd get spanking. If I did something worse, they'd discipline me this way or they'd discipline me that way. And you know what I think about that? They were sure right to do that. It was good for them to teach me. May I never backtalk an adult. May I never humiliate my mom or dad and curse them. And if I did, I'm glad they dealt with it. The analogy is even more accurate between God and his creation. 
God loves you. He made you. Good. He gave you all the gifts that you have. However sharp your brain is or how good you look or the gifts that you have in your lives, the friends that you have or the support system that you have, whatever is good in your life, it is a gift from God. Your raging against him is so out of line and out of place. Why he hasn't brought the rod already, I don't know. It's in his character to be patient. But make no mistake about it, Psalm, tells us, Psalm 2 tells us one day it will come. And when it does, may you be the blessed man who has found refuge in him. Number one is the rage. Number two is the wrath. Number three is the rod. And lastly, number four is the refuge. Look at verse 10. What a sweet ending this is to Psalm 2. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. There's a, there's a call to be wise, and there's a call, there's a warning here. Don't keep raging. Specifically, the kings and rulers, there's so many people that follow you. There's so many people that have to live under the decisions you make. There's so many people that go the way of the king. There's so many people that are under the influence of leadership. And so the call here is be wise, be warned. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son. Focus on Jesus and know the love that he has for you. There's a warning here at the end of Psalm 2 to don't let this be the case. Do not oppose God. Know that God loves you. Specifically, don't oppose him like verse 7 warns. Verse 11 says, serve him. Instead of going against God and saying he's not good for me, serve God and say you're my God and I want to live for you. The word here is to be wise. You got be wise and be warned. And isn't it good? Spurgeon says, it is always wise to be willing to be instructed. Especially when such instruction tends to the salvation of the soul. If somebody is warning you about the soul, you should take it to heart. Spurgeon has a really, really good commentary on the Psalms. That's why we're so Spurgeon heavy today. He goes on to write this. Be wise is instruction that tends to the salvation of the soul. For good reason, let that weigh with you. Your warfare against God cannot succeed. Therefore, desist and yield cheerfully to him who will make you bow if you refuse his yoke. Oh, how wise, how infinitely wise is obedience to Jesus. And how dreadful is the folly of those who continue to be his enemies. Psalm 2 warns us to not be in that position. It encourages us to be wise. And it says there at the end, blessed are all who take refuge in him. He loves you. Why would you oppose him? Find your blessing in him. Realize that God is for you. Notice in Psalm 2, you have it ending the way Psalm 1 begins. Last week when we preached Psalm 1, I, I, I continued to say to you that this is not so much about just how you should live your life. It's not saying go and do this and you'll be on the blessed path and go and do this and you'll be on the wrong path. That's not the emphasis of the Bible. It's not the emphasis of, it's not the emphasis of it here. It's not the emphasis of it anywhere. The Bible is not a manual to tell us what to do so that everything will be okay. 
The Bible is a giant spotlight on the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who died to save you from your sins. The Bible is a big arrow pointing you to Jesus, that you would trust fully in him. When you read Psalm 1, you go, yes, I want to be the blessed man, and I don't want to be in the way of the wicked. I want to be in God's way, which is the best way. And as soon as you flow from Psalm 1 to Psalm 2, it gets very specific that Jesus is that blessed man, and you need him in your life. And the only way that you and I become like a tree, like Psalm 1 describes, is when we are trusting in Christ and his goodness and blessing starts to work in us. The only way you and I might dare be on the right path is because the Savior is leading us down that path, the one who gave his life for us. I began the sermon by talking about how hard life is. And at times you felt that before. And there are some times in life, listen to me, where we can say, hey, stick with it, keep your head up, it's gonna get better. You've said that before. But you've probably lived long enough that sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes we don't get better. Sometimes it doesn't get better. And we have to dig really deep and think, well, good grief, what is the point of it now? Psalm 2 hits the nail on the head for that. There is a refuge in Christ regardless of how life is going. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you. Psalm 2 is so it has so much emphasis on Jesus when it says his anointed, his king, and his son. So that you and I would realize that raging against him is not a good thing. But delighting and trusting in him is. Church, we're only two Sundays in to the new year. And it's already enough. We're already far enough along for us to recognize life is hard, I need help. May you hear today from Psalm 2 that that help is Jesus. May you trust in him. A lot of times we use the expression going against the grain or, or going the wrong way down a one-way street or we, we, we speak about life in that way at times. A lot of times what happens when we get far from God, a lot of times what happens when we get far from God is we find ourselves thinking, in what I'm doing right now and how I'm living and what I'm experiencing, I don't see God anywhere. God's not involved with this. If God cared about me and loved me as much as you're saying he does, Josh, then why am I living in all this? Why is life so hard? And I get that. I see that. I understand that feeling. This is why God's word is so beautiful for us. This is why we can't neglect God's word. Because it points us to Christ in the middle of that raging. It's normal for you to live out of, leave out of here today and later today or tomorrow whether you watch the news or you got a neighbor or run into somebody or maybe it's gonna happen in your own car on the way home. Just an absolute raging against God and his ways. And in that moment, you don't go, where's God in all this rage? In that moment, you're to be reminded. That's why the Bible is so helpful. His anointed, his son, his king. 
God is pointing us to Christ in the middle of the raging. That you and I would recognize going against God is not going to help me. Resting in his love will. May you trust his love for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Psalm 2 and the seriousness and the heaviness of it. God, we thank you for Christ, our Savior. God, we ask that you would not let us rage against you and that we would dare not plot in vain against you, but that we would rest in you. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for your word continually pointing us to Christ. God, thank you for the one who loves us and gave himself for us. May we trust in him. Bless God, work in our hearts that we would be the blessed man because we're trusting in the blessed man. Oh God, stop us from raging in the wrong direction. Father, thank you for your love and patience and that you would be gracious toward us. Move us toward Christ now, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.